What's up everybody and welcome to another edition of the Wednesday morning meet event. Another delay this week, I do apologize. We should be back on schedule next week for the Monday morning meet event. Quite an eventful week in the world of MMA. We had one on TNT1. It didn't come without its hiccups, but they made their official debut into the American market with one on TNT1, and they will continue again tonight with one on TNT2. Christian Lee defends his lightweight world championship. We had the UFC on ABC, Vittori versus Holland. We had Bader versus Machida for the Bellator Light Heavyweight Grand Prix. And we got some uh, middleweight action to look forward to on Saturday with Robert Whitaker and Kelvin Gastelum. So let's dive right in and let's discuss UFC on ABC. So <clears throat> I'll be honest and tell you, I only saw the main card. Uh, you know, if we go through the uh, the prelims, <clears throat> some of the uh, the bigger highlights were uh, Yarius Dano knocking out Jorgen DeCastro. Now I did see the video of the knockout, and that was. Absolutely a brutal knockout, terrifying heavyweight knockout. Jorgen DeCastro got put out cold. Um, you had Joe Selecki defeating Jim Miller. You know, unfortunately, Jim Miller, all this time he's put into the UFC. I mean, he has fought for the UFC since since how long now? Um, since October 18th, 2008. And he's had 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 30, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 37 fights in that time with the UFC. That is absolutely insane. That is unheard of. But unfortunately, he is reaching the twilight of his career, I believe. You know, he, he can still get some wins, but uh, he's, he's no longer a, a top lightweight in the world like he used to be. Now, moving into the main card, the main card started off with a bout between Daniel Rodriguez and Mike Berry. Uh, three rounds, nothing. One of the judges even gave Daniel Rodriguez a 10-8 and gave it 30-26. So Mike Perry is apparently training at uh, Masters MMA now, or MMA Masters, sorry, which is where Colby Covington is training. Um... He did not have an official coach in his corner. He had a fellow fighter with him this time. And, uh, you know, I, I, I like the idea that he's getting back into a gym. He definitely needs a, a, a solid coach. Um, you know, Daniel Rodriguez looked incredible in this fight. Uh, just absolutely picking his shots well. Great one-twos down the middle. Uh, on the Mike Perry side of things, there, there was absolutely no defense, no head movement, anything from him. He was there and available for every punch. And, it, I mean, it worked out perfectly for Daniel Rodriguez. He, he beat him up pretty bad and um, definitely raised his stock. Now, Mike Perry is on a two-fight losing streak now. His last win was last summer against uh, Mickey Gall, and he's actually 1-4 in, in his last five. Um, he has a decision win over Mickey Gall, and then uh, before this losing streak, he had a loss to Alex Oliveira, or sorry, had a win over Alex Oliveira by decision. Um, before that, lost to, by submission to Cowboy, a split decision over Paul Felder before that, and then two decision losses in a row before that. So he's he's kind of on a, a pretty long-term downward, downward spiral here. Um, most of his losses, if not all of his losses, have been by decision. You know, he has the submission loss to Cowboy, TKO loss to Jeff Neal. Outside of that, a lot of decision losses. You know, I think had he stuck to the wrestling, 
he, he might have done a little bit better. You know, every time he went for a takedown, he was having success. He wasn't necessarily keeping Rodriguez down, but he would never try and go back to it after that. And that was, that was a little little odd to me. I think had he stuck with it, he might have had a little bit more success in this fight. But again, uh, great win for Daniel Rodriguez. His striking has improved tremendously. He looked great in this fight. For Mike Perry, you know, I, he's apparently got one fight left on his contract. I'm not sure how that's going to go. I'm not sure if the UFC will re-sign him even with a win. You know, he's not looking like a guy who's ever going to break into the top 15 again. And he's definitely been on a pretty bad downward slope. Hopefully he sticks with MMA Masters and, and, and keeps the head coach around. You know, the whole just training with his girlfriend thing was definitely not working for him. You know, he got the win over Mickey Gall. But uh, outside of that, he, he didn't look, he hasn't looked all that phenomenal in a while. Next up was Mackenzie Dern versus Nina Ansaroff. Well, formerly Nina Ansaroff, now Nina Nunez, uh, the wife of Amanda Nunez, returning from having their child. Um, and, you know, on paper, this was a, a very interesting matchup. She was number five in the world. Mackenzie Dern was number 11. And uh, one thing that Nina has struggled with in her, in her career is, is strong grapplers. Um, so, you know, this was definitely going to be a tough ch challenge for her. And for Mackenzie Dern, it was a chance to break in the top of the division. And, you know, we learned what we've... We, we didn't learn anything new with this fight. We learned that what we've always known. You don't want to go to the ground with Mackenzie Dern. Um, when Mackenzie got her to the ground, it was academic at that point. We knew it was over. And her patience on the ground was just phenomenal. Waited for her openings, created them, and got the armbar again. Mackenzie took Nina's armbar home with her and moved up to number five in the division. Now, it gets really interesting for Mackenzie Dern here. Mackenzie is one of the best grapplers in the world. You know, she does have a loss on her record, but she's improved tenfold since then. She's training with Jason Perillo now, so she's definitely working on her stand-up. Now, where it gets interesting for Mackenzie Dern is she's number five in the world now, so she's only going to move up. Looking ahead of her at number four and number three, you've got Carlos Baza and uh, Jan Zhaonan. Uh, those two are actually scheduled to fight. At number two, you've got Joanna Jojacek, who I, I don't know what's happening with her right now. Number one contender, Rose Namajunas, who's fighting Zhang Weili for the title. So the only one that's truly available ahead of her is Joanna Jojacek. Now, I don't know that Joanna comes back for this. I'm not sure how much we're going to see Joanna anymore. I believe that while she still wants to fight, I believe she's only going to take, you know, big fights and big paydays from now on. I believe she's kind of moving on from the sport. Now, I could be wrong, and I hope I am. She's a phenomenal fighter, but I do believe she's kind of starting to move on from the sport. So I would imagine we would see uh, McKenzie face the winner of Jan and Esparza, but, you know, it'd be very appealing and very interesting to see McKenzie Dern step in there and face Joanna Jojacek. Joanna is still absolutely one of the best uh, female fighters pound for pound in the world. You know, she had a really close loss to Zhang Weili in her last fight. She had a close decision loss to Rose Namajunas in their rematch uh, after their first title fight. This was back in 2018, of course. You know, she did have the loss to Valentina Shevchenko, but that was moving up weight class. So, Joanna is, though, still one of the best fighters in the world. She's just starting to slowly get knocked out of the title picture. Now, honestly, she could rematch Zhang and get the win. You know, she could rematch, she could get a third trilogy fight with Rose and maybe get the win. You know, you, you never know that that, uh, that second fight with her and Rose was definitely close. The fight with her and Wei Li was very close. 
So if she does decide to fight, I think on paper that's a very interesting matchup because I, I don't believe that Mackenzie Dern has much of a chance with Joanna in the stand-up game. I believe Joanna would likely pick her apart. Now the question is, can Mackenzie get her to the ground? If Mackenzie can get anybody in that division to the ground, she's going to win, and there's no question to it. I think if she can get someone to the ground and keep them there, she's going to be able to win. Joanna's style of fighting... You know, she's very good at keeping the range, but Valentina Shevchenko, you know, beat her with her grappling, you know, so it is possible we could see uh, Mackenzie Dern pull it off. Now, do I, am I predicting for you we're going to see that fight? I do not believe we are going to see that fight. I think it would be a very fun fight. I just don't know that we see Joanna come back for that. I'd imagine we will be seeing... Mackenzie Dern versus the winner of Carla Esparza and Jan. And, you know, if she fights Carla, Carla's a very strong uh, wrestler, so that'd be a very interesting fight on paper. Can she get Carla to the ground if she can't? You know, we've got a, we got a stand-up fight, and then it's a matter of who can who can impose their will on the feet. So Mackenzie Dern is definitely working her way up towards the title shot. And, you know, if she gets somebody to the ground, she's, she's going to earn her way there. So... Definitely interested to see where, where she goes next. I would love the idea of her fighting Iwana. I just don't imagine that's what we're going to see next. Uh, in the middleweight division, we had Julian Marquez versus Sam Alvey. Uh, this was an absolute slugfest, especially in the second round. The Cuban Missile Crisis, Julian Marquez, wow. You know, um, just absolutely put it on him in the second round obliterated him, honestly could have arguably won by TKO, then ended up putting him to sleep with a half bulldog choke, half rear naked choke. Absolutely incredible, you know. Julian Marquez is really starting to work his way in to this division and is starting to build his resume up. You know, he, he definitely has, has struggled throughout his career. He's uh, in, in the UFC, I should say. You know, he's he had a loss in Bellator. He's had a split decision loss, but, you know, other than that, Got onto the UFC with a head kick knockout over Phil Hawes. You know, got a guillotine submission win over Darren Stewart. Had that split decision loss and then didn't fight for nearly three years. So he's had a lot of injuries and things like that. But since he's returned, you know, an anaconda choke and now a uh, rear naked slash bulldog choke. So definitely working his way up. I'm excited to see where he goes next and what else we might see from him. For... Sam Alvey, however, you know, unfortunately, he has not won since a split decision win over Jan Vellante, June 1st, 2018. He's had a TKO loss to Little Nog, a TKO loss to Jimmy Crute, a decision loss to Clidston Abreu, a split decision loss to Ryan Spann, a split draw with Da'an Jung, and now the submission loss to Julian Marquez. So I don't predict for you we'll be seeing Sam Alvey in the UFC again. I could be wrong because he is an absolute veteran of the sport. However, like I said, I don't predict for you we'll be seeing him again. I believe that was the last we saw of Sam Alvey in the UFC. Next up was a featherweight bout about of uh, guys looking to truly cement themselves as top 10 fighters as we had Arnold Allen versus Sadiq Youssef. Sadiq Youssef was a was a favorite going into this one, uh, which which was a little surprising to me. Uh, you know, uh, Arnold Allen has been quietly bumping his way up for a long time. You know, 17-1 and one now. Has uh, decision wins over Nick Lentz and Gilbert Melendez in back-to-back fights. Had a split decision win over Marquand Amir Khani uh, pretty early in his career. You know, he's, he's worked his way up there, and he's beaten some big names in the sport. 
This was a very good fight. Uh, I was very impressed with Arnold Allen. The judges had it 29-28. I would agree with that. It was a very competitive fight, very back and forth. I liked what I saw out of both guys. You know, Arnold Allen dropped him in the first round but didn't get overly impatient, didn't go wild and engage in a slugfest. You know, Sadiq Yusuf recovered really well. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited for both these guys' future. You know, for, for Arnold Allen, though, where things get interesting is when you look at the rankings. So he's the uh, number eight guy in the world now after his, uh, after his win over Sadiq Yusuf. He moved from number 10 to number eight. Yusuf went from 11 to 12, so, you know, his stock didn't fall that far. Looking at who's ranked ahead of him, you know, J Jeremy Stevens is now number 10, but he's also moving up to lightweight and will be fighting this Saturday against Drakkar Close. You got Dan Ige, who he just moved ahead of, but Ige is fighting uh, Chan Sung Jung. You've got Josh Emmett, who I believe is still out with an injury, and then ahead of him is Calvin Cater, who is still working uh, through the concussion protocols. Now, depending on how that's going for him, I would imagine that Arnold Allen versus Calvin Cater is a very good matchup next. I'm just not sure, you know, how long he's going to be in the concussion protocol, how long he's going to be out. You know, Josh Emmett uh, had an ACL tear, so it, and that was on top of other injuries to that leg. So I'm, I'm not sure how long it'll be before we see him again. He was expected to face Arnold Allen last January, so if he is recovered in time, it would be interesting if we could get that fight rebooked. You know, they're both looking to break their way into the top five and can definitely earn their way into it. It's just a matter of who's healthy and who's available. I, I, I think you book him with whoever is healthy and whoever is available, whether it be Calvin or Josh Emmett, but I think those are your two options. For Sadiq Youssef, it gets a little interesting. I'd imagine he'll probably be fighting someone ranked below him next. You know, Shane Burgos is booked against Edson Barbosa. Jeremy Stevens is uh, scheduled for a fight at lightweight. Dan Ige is booked. I'd imagine Sadiq will be fighting someone like a, a Bryce Mitchell next. Um, I'm not predicting that's who it'll be, but someone around that ranking level is who I imagine we see him fight next. Uh, finally was Marvin Vittori versus Kevin Holland. Um, standing in this fight, Holland looked good. He, he did a lot better job at, at trying to get up in this fight, but you know Marvin Vittori set a UFC record. Most takedowns landed in a uh, middleweight fight, uh, 11 takedowns, so he's got the new middleweight record. Congrats to Marvin Vittori on that. He definitely put a lot more damage onto Holland than uh, Derek Brunson did, but you know he, it, was, it was pretty much boilerplate, did the exact strategy as uh, Derek Brunson. Now, props to him for that, did exactly what he needed to do. He could have engaged in a stand-up brawl, but that wouldn't have worked. Now, he got on the mic afterwards and, you know, once again declared himself number one contender and said there's no one else. I, I find it hard to believe he'll leapfrog over Robert Whitaker should Robert Whitaker defeat Kelvin Gaslam on Saturday. You know, Whitaker is on a tear right now. I think Whitaker very likely would have beat Paulo Costa. I imagine Whitaker beats Gaslam on Saturday. And with everything he's done, I think it's tough to argue against Robert Whitaker getting a rematch. I also think, you know, trying to book a title fight after defeating a short-notice opponent who is coming off a loss, um, who you beat pretty much the exact same way he was just beaten, you know, is, you know, very, very smart strategy. Not saying it wasn't overly impressive, but, you know, it didn't do anything to stand out. So I, I think 
it's going to be tough for Vittoria to get a title shot off that one. I think Marvin needs one more win over a top guy, you know, whether that be a Paulo Costa, whether that be a Robert Whitaker, uh, Jared Cannonier. You know, I think he just needs one more top-level win. Had he fought Darren Till and beat Darren Till like this, we could be having a different talk. I believe with a victory like that over Darren Till, even, you know, five rounds nothing, just constant takedowns, I believe he would have earned himself a title fight with that. But over Kelvin Holland, I think it's I think it's a hard sell. So definitely need to see him get one more fight. Now with Kevin Holland, we've heard talk that he's going to go down to welterweight. Um, he feels like the guy at mid- guys at middleweight are too strong for him and too big for him, and that that's part of the reason why this has been happening. You know, it, it might not be a bad idea, but one thing he's got to look at is the top guys at welterweight are wrestlers for the most part. you got Gilbert Burns, who's a jiu-jitsu world champion, who can use wrestling when he needs to. You've got Colby Covington. You've got Kamara Usman. You know, you've got Michael Chiesa. you got a lot of big, strong wrestlers at the division. I don't know that division change necessarily helps. I think he needs to spend a lot of time. Take a break. Uh, you know, take some time. Work the next six months. Work on your takedown defense. Then book yourself another fight. You know, whatever weight class you want to come back at, whether that be middleweight or welterweight, that's fine. But you have got to work on that takedown defense. You cannot be an elite fighter in the UFC and not have that takedown defense. Um... And this isn't a, oh, he just had a a strong wrestler going against him. You know, this is two fights in a row where he's been taken down at will. Um, And even Jacare, while he knocked Jacare out from his back, Jacare took him down with ease. So this is something he definitely needs to work on. I think he needs to spend a lot of time on it, and he really needs to improve upon it because this is just not something that's going to make him be able to last in this division. Or at the welterweight division, you know, can you imagine him in there with a guy like Colby or Kamara Usman? He would get taken down at will by them as well. Uh, so definitely want to see Kevin Holland work on his takedown defense and and see where he can improve there. And, you know, even then, maybe just work on your jiu-jitsu game off your back as well. You know, work on being able to get up. Work on using that reach you've got to keep distance, not letting fighters get in the range and get that takedown. So... Kevin Holland definitely has a lot to work on. I don't think a division change is the only thing that fixes it for him. And, you know, a lot of guys get hung up on this. You notice they start having struggles with this guy and that guy, and it's, well, I need to change division. Sometimes that's the case, but with Kevin Holland, I really think he needs to work on the takedown offense because there were some takedowns in the Brunson fight and some takedowns in this fight. It looked like he just kind of let happen. So, like, he just isn't even bothered defending them. You, you can't you can't do that, especially not as an elite fighter. <sighs> so... Hopefully he works on that and we can see some improvements. But it, it sounds like he's obsessed with the thought that the weight class change is going to do it. So we'll see what actually happens there. So I did not watch Bader and Machida, but what I uh, so, uh, I read up on it online, looked at a little bit of clips. You know, smart strategy by Bader. You know, take the first round off. Let, let the older Machida kind of work on his stand-up a little bit and then just use your power wrestling in the remainder of the rounds. You know, the, the way he fought him in their first fight was, I agree with what Bader said, he was asking to get knocked out. You know, a solid win for, for Bader here. It wasn't overly impressive. It was, but, you know, he, he did what he had to do. And a, a Ryan Bader that fights like that is a, a tough matchup for pretty much any Bellator light heavyweight. He's, he's got to use that wrestling. I believe when he uses his wrestling, he's one of the best fighters in the world. So... Be interesting to see where he moves forward in the uh, the Bellator Grand Prix. I, I hopefully will be catching some more of that so I can give a little bit more in-depth breakdowns. But good win for Ryan Bader. 
and a good start to the light heavyweight Grand Prix. We've got Anthony Johnson versus Yoel Romero coming later this month. Definitely looking forward to that. So now moving on to one on TNT1, you had Marais versus Johnson was the main event. A uh, pretty fun fight card. It started off with uh, Senegalese heavyweight phenom Rug Rug Omar Kane uh, with a huge TKO victory. Um, now his, uh, his opponent did step up on one day's notice. He was scheduled for a kickboxing match and made his MMA debut on a day's notice. His opponent fell out and then Rug Rug's opponent fell out. So they ended up fighting. So... You know, I thought it was a given with a Senegalese wrestler that he was probably going to win. Um, he just overwhelmed him on the feet. Even, I don't think, even with his uh, kickboxing background, he was prepared for the style of striking that Umar Kane was bringing and then ended up getting taken down with ease and just pounded out, you know. Umar Kane uh, challenged Brandon Vera afterwards. I, I think he's got some work to do before that. Um, you know, his, his stand-up... Definitely reminded me of uh, Francis Ngannou versus Jairginho Rosenstreich, just charging forward, wailing punches, hoping they land. So he's definitely got some improvements to make, but he's going to be to someone to watch out for in that heavyweight division. You know, we had a great kickboxing match between Enrico Kell and uh, Chingiz Alazov. Uh, I definitely agreed with the decision of Kell winning. I, I don't know why it was split, but it was a very fun fight. Those guys just beat the absolute hell out of each other. You know, you had a uh, the Dagestani Raymond uh, Magomedaliev. Uh, I did not hear his name pronounced, but he defeat, defeated Tyler McGuire in just an absolute one-sided beatdown like you usually see from these uh, Dagestani guys. So we moved on to the main card, and it was Eddie Alvarez versus Yuri Lapikus, and this fight lasted one minute. So, it was a pretty disappointing start to one on TNT1. You could tell the commentators were not happy about it. So, to explain what happened, Eddie Alvarez ended up getting him down and put him on his back pretty early. He, uh, he laced his legs up like Khabib is known for doing and uh, started flailing punches to the head. Now, Yuri Lapikus was turning his head, uh, so some of those punches landed a little bit to the back of the head, some of them right behind the ear. Um, you hear the referee warn him to watch the strikes to the back of the head, and then Yuri begins screaming and yelling very loudly and drops to his back. Eddie Alvarez continues pounding and lands some hammer fists, and the referee stops him. Uh, you know, there was, Yuri was laying on his back for a while, recovering. There was confusion as to what was going to happen, and then the referee pulled out the red card and announced that he disqualified Eddie Alvarez for punches to the back of the head. Uh... Eddie was very disappointed, very emotional. Apparently, Yuri Lapikus was taken out on a stretcher. I'm, I'm not going to claim to know the insights as to what happened to Yuri Lapikus. I, I've not heard anything since as far as what happened to him. Uh, my thoughts were there were definitely some hard punches, but I also felt like the hardest punches landed uh, flush to the face. I, I wasn't, I wasn't overly impressed with what happened. Now, as far as the disqualification goes, I don't think that was the right call. I believe a no contest at best is how it should have been, and, you know, I, I don't want to say that somebody faked something, but Yuri seemed fine. Then the referee gave out the warning for back of the head. 
And then Yuri started screaming. And he was completely fine up until that point. So it's... I've not heard anything as far as his medical results go. Apparently he was stretched out. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. I thoroughly disagreed with the call. I felt no contest at the worst is what should have been. Eddie Alvarez apparently does plan on appealing it. John McCarthy believed that it was a terrible decision. He said, you know, Eddie Alvarez was not looking at his opponent. He had his head up against him. You can't call it a disqualification. There was not malicious intent. He could not see where he was striking. I wholeheartedly agree. I believe if you want to call it a no contest, that's fine. But I don't think a disqualification was warranted. So next up was Adriano Moraes versus Demetrius Johnson for the Flyweight World Championship. And wow, oh wow, Adriano Moraes, ladies and gentlemen. You know, my... My thought going into this was Demetrius is going to have to deal with that range. He's going to have to keep it standing. And Adriano Moraes is a jiu-jitsu world champion. So if this goes to the ground, he's in trouble. In the first round, Demetrius was definitely doing okay standing. He was struggling to reach him, but when he was getting to him, he was landing strikes well. Uh, Adriano ended up going in for a leg lock at one point, and Demetrius had to give up the top position to get out of it. And Adriano, you know, did a good job at holding him down but not expending too much energy for the remainder of the round. And then we moved into the second round. And again, Demetrius was struggling to find the range. He was coming in, and at one point, Adriano Moraes drilled him with an uppercut, put him down on his butt. And as Demetrius was trying to work his way up uh, off his butt, got kneed in the face. And Adriano Moraes put him out cold with some punches following up on that. And Adriano Moraes, with the biggest win of his career, knocks Demetrius Johnson out, finishes him for the first time in Demetrius Johnson's career, and showed the world exactly who he is. Um, a lot of people were complaining online. So one championship has a pretty similar rule set to pride. So knees to a grounded opponent are completely legal. Um, so, you know, Adriano Moraes was fully within the rule set, and Demetrius Johnson has been an advocate for allowing those knees for a long time. He's actually thrown those knees himself in one championship. So... No complaints there. Great win for Adriano Moraes. Couldn't be more happy for him. He was super excited when it happened. You know, just a, an all-around great guy for that win to happen to. What happens next for him, I'm not sure. You know, there's a video of him backstage telling Demetrius if he wants to rematch, they can rematch. Um, thanking him for the opportunity. I don't imagine we'll be seeing an immediate rematch next. That was not a very close fight. I do believe that Demetrius Johnson has looked small against pretty much all of his one championship opponents. I think that while he said he would never go back down to 125 pounds, the strawweight division there, which is 125 pounds, is probably better suited for him. But if we see him stay at flyweight, which is 135 going forward, it'll be interesting to see what happens with him next. And uh, as far as what's next for Adriano Moraes, I I'd imagine we're probably going to have to see some guys break out as contenders, but a, a great win for Adriano Moraes. There's a beautiful video of him coming back to American Top Team, and they just gave him the biggest round of applause. Very awesome to see. Um, main event, so that was the main event, but after that was a Muay Thai fight, three rounds between Rotang, Jet Munyang, and Daniel Williams. It was, it was a fun fight. It was a brutal fight. Rotang, you know, for the American fans who had never seen him before, showed exactly who he is. <clears throat> And uh, hopefully more people will be tuning in to watch him going forward. You know, a Muay Thai fight with MMA gloves. There's not a whole lot I can say about it. These two went to absolute war. Rod Tang put it on him in the second round, and Daniel Williams did not back up an inch. I was impressed with both guys, and a great win for Rod Tang. 
Very fun event, and there will be one on TNT 2 tonight, so I'll probably be recapping that next week. So Aljamain Sterling is going to be out uh, for a good bit of the year with uh, neck surgery, and I'm seeing a lot of people calling for him to be stripped of the title. I agree with the notion of treating him like any other champion. It's not his fault the way he won it. That goes solely on the guy who had the illegal blow. I believe we will still see Aljamain Sterling and Piotr Jan by the end of the year. So best of luck on the recovery to Aljamain Sterling. Piotr Jan, if you want to wait, I say wait and get yourself a title fight by the end of the year. But, you know, this is the price you pay when you don't follow the rule set. So, like I said, best uh, best wishes to Aljamain Sterling. I hope he recovers well. And hopefully we get that title fight by the end of the year. So next up, some drama with Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier. Dustin Poirier came out and said that Conor McGregor, uh, they ghosted him uh, when the time came for him to make his charitable donation. And uh, Conor and his manager did not take too kindly to that. Dustin went on a, or Conor went on a pretty long rant on Twitter and then said that the fight was off um, and then said that Dustin was going to pay for this with his brains being splattered on the canvas, so now I guess the fight's on. Uh, you know, Connor is doing what Connor does, causing, stirring up a lot of drama. Now, uh, I would like to believe that this is them just stirring up drama for the fight and get it trying to draw people in because, you know, the interest was a little bit low after how that last fight went, I believe. A Conor McGregor fight will always have some interest, but I believe for a Conor McGregor fight, this had a pretty low interest level, and I think they sensed that. So... Hopefully these guys are just trying to manufacture drama. I would like to think Connor still did donate to that foundation. Um, but Connor himself has come out and said he didn't, has given excuses as to why he didn't, and I think seeing people flock to defend him uh, says a lot. You know, this this is one of the if, if Connor McGregor really did back out of this donation with what they were planning on doing with it, which Connor claims he didn't know the money trail, but also had made a post a few months back discussing everything that was going to happen with his donation. So if this is really true, you know, it's just a one of the lowest of the low moves uh, of Conor McGregor's career, and hopefully it gets sorted out, and hopefully it's just all for show and to build some hype for the fight. It's it's really sad to think that it might not be. Now, I do believe that this fight is still on, despite everything that Conor McGregor is saying. Last we had heard, the contract was signed by both guys for July 10th, so it's hard to imagine they're just going to let Conor back out of that and give him someone new. I believe that this is just going to increase the drama for the fight, and I, I look forward to seeing it. I'd imagine, again, that we see Dustin win again. I think Conor's just taking too much time off, and personally, I, I think he's, he's not as dedicated to the sport as he once was. You know, he posted a video of himself the other day getting his brand new teeth, whereas you've got Dustin is just in the gym training. So it's it's hard to imagine he's taking this as seriously as Dustin Poirier is, and he's not been as focused on MMA as guys like Dustin and Michael Chandler and Justin Gaethje and Charles Oliveira have. I believe his time as a top fighter in the sport is likely over. And I don't know if we'll see him again if he loses to Dustin Poirier once again. Alright guys, this is going to be a relatively quick episode, so I'm going to look ahead to Robert Whitaker versus Kelvin Gastelum on Saturday. I think I've already talked about this a little bit, but you know, we've got Andre Orlovsky versus Chase Sherman. That should be a very fun heavyweight matchup. Chase Sherman's been in some absolute brawls. Uh, you know, he's, he's coming off a TKO win last May over Isaac Villanueva. He's definitely had some fun, fun wins. He, uh, 
was in the UFC a few years ago. Started off with two straight losses, won two straight, and then lost three straight. Got cut by the UFC, went on a tear, and is uh, now back in the UFC. He was always fun to watch fight, so interested to see what happens with Andre Arlovsky. Absolute legend of the sport. And, you know, at 42 years old, he's probably not ever going to be winning the title again, you know, coming off a rear naked choke loss to Tom Aspinall. But he's definitely still a, a fun fighter to watch in this heavyweight division, you know, had and uh, is, is essentially becoming a, a gatekeeper at heavyweight for whether or not guys are ready to break into the top 15, top 10. So it'll be interesting to see how that one goes. Jeremy Stevens and Jakar Close at lightweight. Uh, interested to see if the uh, not cutting weight will help Jeremy Stevens out in the later stages of his career. You know, Jakar Close coming off a knockout loss to Benal Dariush last March in uh, at UFC 248. Other than that, has had some some quality wins. You know, he's got a decision split decision win over Mark Dykesi, decision win over Lando Venata, decision win over Bar Bobby Green, and decision win over Christos Yagos. So, you know, this is a chance to make a name for himself. A win over Jeremy Stevens would be huge. And, and Jeremy Stevens, while he's on a bit of a losing streak here lately, could be uh, finding his way out of the UFC should he lose again. You have the TKO loss to Jose Aldo, the decision loss to Zabit. You have you, the uh, no contest with the eye poke, then he lost to Yair after that, and then the knockout loss to Calvin Cater. Definitely, definitely entering sort of the twilight of his career, it would seem, at 34 years old. You know, he's been in the UFC for a long time, and uh, all those years of just back and forth wars and all the battles he's been in are going to catch up to him over time. Main event Robert Whitaker, Kelvin Gastelum. You know, we were supposed to see this. Few years ago, for the title, um, we ended up getting an interim title fight between Gastelum and Adesanya a few months later as a result of Robert Whitaker going down with a hernia. Gastelum went on a bit of a downslide after the loss to Adesanya, but picked it back up with a win over Ian Heinish in his last fight, and he's stepping up on five weeks' notice after Paulo Costa pulled out due to COVID and the flu. I'm predicting that Robert Whitaker probably wins this fight. I would imagine it's either a late TKO or a decision win. Kelvin Gastelum's a tough guy, so putting him away is going to be very difficult, but I could see Whitaker getting it done. Kelvin Gastelum's a dog, and this is going to be an absolute fight. I would definitely tune in. Um, I look forward to it on Saturday. look forward to seeing the rest of the fights, and I will see you guys next Monday. So thank you all so much for tuning in. I know this is a bit of a shorter episode, but I promise we'll be back next Monday. I look forward to seeing you guys then. Have a great rest of your week.